Amen. Today, I'm doing something I've never done before. I'm going to give a congregational report, kind of a state of the church message. And we are going to talk about finances today, so get ready for that. But I want to begin with an overall picture. First of all, this has been an incredible summer for me personally and for many in this church. People are connecting with God, uh, especially with our youth. I've seen some youth that are getting turned on to serving Jesus with their whole lives, and it has been incredible. We have kids committing to starting prayer groups at school, some wanting to go into full-time missions, church planting, even got a kid wanting to do a basketball camp as an outreach for Jesus. Garrett and a couple of boys went to Springfield to hand out care packages to the homeless a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it is amazing what's been going on. So I asked a couple of young people to write up a testimony, and one of them is Alec Hayes, and I don't know Alec real well, and so I kind of took a chance. Hey, Alec, would you do this? Oh, yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Now, she's a graduate of Mount Pulaski High School, so that makes her uh, good. And uh, she's a college student at Illinois State. I think that's okay, too. But I've asked her to come. Well, I asked her to write something, and she's, yeah, yeah. So I said, well, it's so good. Would you come and read it or just share it with her? And she's, yeah, I do that. So we're glad to have her. Alec, why don't you come on up? And we'll have you share a little bit. Is that good? Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay so um, the Haiti trip made an everlasting impact on my life. The people of Haiti, their joy, their love for others, their giving nature, their desire to listen, their smiles, their hearts were the wake-up call for me. Before arriving in Haiti, I had all the wrong expectations. I expected to see people who lacked any form of happiness, but the people of Haiti choose to be joyful every single day. I rarely saw a person without a beaming smile on their face. We in America have found joy in worldly things like nice clothes and air conditioning, and we can barely function without these things. The people of Haiti have found joy in Christ. They have lived without this joy of worldly things and have found real fulfilling joy in something that they will never have to worry about going without. I expected to meet people who had lost all faith in Christ, but I met people in Haiti with the kind of faith that I am striving for. They are so wise and so dedicated to our God. They find life in him, and they live for him, and it is so amazing. It is so clear that Haiti as a nation has turned to God, and God lifts them up. I found myself so frequently thinking, wow, God is so present here. And it wasn't until I returned home that God is present here in our nation as well. As a nation, we have turned from God, but God will never stop pursuing us. We just need to turn back to him. He's so right there. I expected to hold exhausted children, but the children of Haiti, these were without a doubt the most energetic children I have ever met, the most caring, the most loving, the happiest children I have ever known. We were strangers to them, and they ran to us with open arms. They loved us, and they laughed with us, and their joy was radiant. I expected to see an impoverished land, but I was so wrong. I came to know a whole new definition of poor. By American standards, these people have nothing. But when one creates standards through the eyes of Christ, these people have everything. They have love, they have joy, they have motivation, and they have hearts that follow Christ. Haiti has beautiful mountains and a bright blue ocean and, and beaming people. It is the furthest thing from poor. So for me, Haiti was a time of growth. I learned that I can choose joy every single day by seeking it in Christ. I learned that Jesus has never left my side and God has never stopped pursuing me. I learned that children are beautiful sons and daughters of Christ and that they are loved so deeply by him. And I learned that to be poor in the eyes of many, 
quite often translates to having everything in the eyes of Christ. Thank you. There's other testimonies uh, similar to that and yet unlike that. And I'm going to share some of those in the next uh, coming weeks. Now. So God's moving among our youth, and it's just been so incredible. Last Sunday, we had another baptism, Maggie Wirtz, a high schooler. This summer, we've had uh, probably at least half a dozen baptisms. And I should probably mention, Garrett, we're going to have youth meetings tonight, right? So you want that announced, so, so you all know, come, come to youth meeting. Anyway, God is moving, and he's also moving in adult lives. We've seen families rededicate themselves to Christ. One man was telling me how God has been convicting him about his discipleship. Uh, I got this text from another one of our guys just a couple of weeks ago, and I want to read it. He said, I just want to let you know, God has been working through me through prayer. I've never been more filled with the Holy Spirit than in these last few days. It's opened my eyes to just how blessed I truly am. God is great. To him, all praise and glory. And that just came to me out of the blue. I thought, what, what's going on? And I think we're becoming more of a vertical church, connecting with God and connecting with his will. And, and folks, this church is a light to the community, to this county, and to this world. Our mission is loving God, loving people, and reaching the world. And that mission comes from our president, Jesus Christ. And that's what he has directly told us. You love God first above all else. There's nothing more important. And second, you love your neighbor as yourself. And then you do the Great Commission. You go into all the world loving God and loving your neighbor and making disciples. And that mission will not change because Jesus will not change. And it is happening at Mount Pulaski Christian Church. However, I'm going to be transparent today. The past eight months have been the hardest eight months since I have been here. Been here almost seven years now. And uh, we've lost some people and we've had some difficulties financially, and I start questioning my own leadership. And so I just want to talk about a few things. I made a presentation similar to this to our elders and deacons and trustees and our team leaders, and they agreed we should share this with the whole congregation. Most of this is about finances, but there'll be some other matters as well. Going back to last year, 2015, we had a good year financially, able to get a little cushion as the giving was good and we kept expenses down as we always try to. And last year was actually our best year in the general fund since I have been here. And then we announced, I think last November or something like that, about things are going pretty well financially. Thank you for stepping up if you did. And ever since we made that announcement, offerings have gone down. We will never make that announcement again. No, just kidding. But anyway, things have changed uh, these last eight months, and we'll get into why in a few minutes, but here's some numbers. For 2016, general fund giving is behind budget about $23,000. So giving's down about 5% from last year. And debt reduction is ahead of budget about 1600 which sounds good, but debt reduction giving is actually down 16% from last year. So we're meeting our obligations for the debt, but the giving has still gone down. Every year until now, we've been able to put extra, like a lump sum, an extra 10, 20,000 on the debt. This year, that's not been the case. Now, if you want a more complete report, those of you who like numbers, you can let us know and we'll get you something. And we will have time for questions. If you have any, you want to meet with the elders and finance team, they're going to be in the conference room right after this service, and you can go there, and they'll help answer some questions you might have. My question is, what happened? What caused this to change? I mean, besides announcing things were good, and that apparently had some role in it, there's some other things. 
we've had a loss of pillars. We've had key people move away or go to the nursing home. Some have died. We've lost people like Wally Couts and Tom Stevens. This past week, Bus Lamar passed away. Maxine Downings in the nursing home, Margaret Baker, Carl and Meredith Patterson and others, and they've been pillars. And some of them are still supporting the church, but some are unable to. We've had some people move away, and if you include children uh, of these families, we've lost around 25 to 30 people in the last eight months. And these are 25 to 30 people that were here every Sunday, faithful in every way. We've lost three elders in the last eight months. Chris Cowan, for various reasons, and they made sense. Mike Nichols is moving away and doing interim ministry, so he's not here. Uh, Kevin Horn is taking care of Susan and his family, very legitimate reasons. All three elders had good reasons for their decisions. And on top of that, we're losing a good deacon, Kevin Letterly. He's moving to Robinson, Illinois. The worst thing about that is he's taking Kathy with him. <laughs> I mean, the, these are great people, and they have blessed this church, and they've been pillars. So it's not that there's an upheaval or division in the church. There's not any catastrophic issues. It's just that everyone got older, moved away at the same time. And so we're in this season of transition. And what's interesting, on the financial side, we have gained a number of new givers. We have more giving units now than we did a year ago. We have several new people, but they're just not at that same level of involvement as the ones we've lost. And I don't know how much we lost in giving when people left because all of your giving is kept confidential. But I would estimate we've lost about $1,000 a week, uh, around 50000 for the year, maybe even more. And these pillars were here every week. If they missed, they made it up. You could just count on them. And frankly, we need new pillars. People we can count on, faithful, serving, be here. I was at a previous church and we lost four of seven leaders in one year and it was like a punch in the stomach but the church got through it and was very healthy and I'm suspecting that will happen here as well here's another thing that happened diverted giving Dennis Wilhelm from the finance team met with the elders and one thing he's, he's noticed is people have been diverting general fund giving to fundraisers now fundraisers do amazing things a summer food program that we just finished uh, mission trip to Haiti is just wonderful. I mean, Alec and some of these others wouldn't have experienced that without that. Helping kids get to CIY, those are all good. But the intention of fundraisers is they are above and beyond regular giving. But a significant number of people will simply take their regular general fund offering and give it to the fundraiser. And so they rob Peter to pay Paul, and it really doesn't do any good. Now, some have suggested, well, we need to do more fundraisers you know, to, to make up the deficit. I totally disagree with that. Fundraisers are not the answer. It's God's people being faithful that's the answer. The trams. By the way, you who volunteered for trams, thank you. That really went well. But that's going to raise maybe $1,000 for the youth program. That is 10% of one week's need of our budget needs. Fundraisers are not the answer. In fact, to a certain extent, they look like they're part of the problem. So for the remainder of 2016, the elders have decided we will have no fundraisers in the church. Uh, we've got to get the general fund back on track, and then we'll evaluate at the end of the year, depending on how things are going. And I want to reemphasize, this church is changing lives. It's making a difference in ways even I don't see all of them. It is worth supporting. It's a light to the world a light to this community, and people are being impacted. And we do not want lack of money to hinder 
mission trips or CIY, those are invaluable. This year especially, they've been amazing, and Satan would love to see those things squelched. And we have got to get the general fund healthy because if that falters, everything else falters. Here's the third issue, our debt. 9000 a month is a large payment for a church this size. Our actual payment is somewhere around 7000 but we're paying an extra 2000 every month to get it paid off more quickly, which I don't think anybody would disagree with that, and we want to continue doing that. And one question that has been asked of me by a couple people, are we being prudent with what we have? And I'll just say this, uh, I've been in four churches as the senior minister over the past 40 years, and this is the barest bones budget of any church I've been at. Every year we evaluate and we do the best to keep expenses down. And you might ask, well, could you slice more? I would say, yes, we can. But I don't think we want to go there. We could cut back on youth. You parents, you know, kids are expensive. I remember those days. One dad was telling me that it was costing him $600 just to get the school year started. I was reading a book on youth ministry on how the church has to invest in youth if you want a healthy program. And they estimate that it takes $1,000 per student per year. So if you have 50 students, you need to have a $50,000 budget for youth. I asked Garrett, what was our budget last year? 16000 I guarantee you, we have more than 16 youth involved. We are not being extravagant in that area. Some kids cannot afford to go to CIY or to camp, and we could cut them off and just say, sorry, you're on your own. We don't have the funds. We could do that. I don't think we want to. This past summer, one kid in particular was changed dramatically. He would not have been able to go to CIY without help. We could cut VBS, 140, 150 kids for five days exposed to the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of those kids will never get it any other time. It's a great outreach, but we could cancel VBS. We could cancel Big Wednesday, 100 kids every Wednesday. We could do away with that. Missionaries who depend on us, we could cut them, but we're their lifeline. Giving to our missionaries is less than 10% of our budget, and most churches consider 10% the bottom line, a bare minimum. This is the smallest missions budget percentage of any church I've been at, partly due to debt. We have the hope of the world. Jesus told us to go into all the world. Lazarus Fish is doing amazing ministry at Myanmar. The Knoxes. Alex DeVolt in Omaha, the Gainers in Ukraine, Katura Richardson in Italy, uh, she's our newest mission. And when we, these are our ambassadors to the world and they depend on us. We're their lifeline. We could cut salaries. In fact, in the past we have. I did some research on this and the average church will spend about 50% on salaries of their total budget. Some will spend as much as 60 to 80% on salaries. We spend 37% on salaries. We are being prudent. When we were looking for a youth minister, one of the overwhelming desires is that whoever we hire would stay and not leave after a couple years and live in Mount Pulaski. We heard this from parents. We heard this from youth leaders. We heard this from kids. We want this guy to stay and live in town. So we interviewed Garrett and we talked about these things. So Garrett and Emily, what do they do? They go and buy a house in town. And what do we do? Cut his salary. We have, haven't. We could. But I don't think we want to go there. I think that's immoral. Don't ask someone to make a commitment and then not keep our end of the commitment. They actually came here for a less salary than what they were making in Indiana. Rob and Jill are a bargain. We get so much out of them. 
for a fraction of what a full-time children's minister would cost. Parker and the quality worship, man, wasn't that good this morning? I mean, he's a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're blessed to have LCU so close. We get quality guys like Parker and Logan and Jordan. You know, we're getting quality for so little cost. And we spend 20 hours a week on upkeep of these facilities. Trust me, it takes more than 20 hours to keep up these facilities of both these buildings. That's way too small. And the only way we can afford uh, or can get by with doing 20 hours a week is Mike and Laura Wakeman give so much time here on their own. And, and we have some other volunteers too. Um, yeah. Now we could cut some other areas like donuts. We might have a riot, but we could cut that. Uh, we had an air conditioner go out uh, in July, I think it was. cost $2,100. We could go without air conditioning. We could cancel our insurance. We could stop doing maintenance. I mean, it gets silly after a point. You get to a point where there are no other options. We have Sunday school teachers to buy their own supplies. Men's breakfast never turns in receipts. They just pay for it. The staff doesn't turn in all their expenses. They just swallow some of them. And several things have been let go because of finances. I mean, these are things you would not allow happen in your house. If you have really, really uh, bad carpet or something, sooner or later you're going to replace it. We'll probably have to replace this carpet someday. I think we should take care of God's house before we take care of our house. Now, here's the good news. When we have a need, this congregation has always responded. And there has been a recent upswing. Giving for the year is down 5% from last year, but before July 1st, it was down 12%. We had a good July, and now we're having a pretty good August. Debt reduction has been down, the giving has been down 16%, but in July it was down, before July it was down 24%. So I made this presentation to our leaders and to some other people, and people have responded. The debt has been reduced significantly. This building cost almost $2 million dollars. That is too much debt for a church this size, too big. But God is bigger, and now that debt's down to 600000 And that, it's amazing. And I've been saying since I got here, one of my goals before I die or retire, this stupid debt's going to be paid off. So if you want to get rid of me, write a check, okay? <laughs> Here's the best news. God owns everything. I stress over this stuff. I'll just be honest. I feel responsible for Garrett for the staff and the missionaries and our youth, and they depend on us. And when I stress, God seems to say, Mark, I'm not. Why are you worried? I'm not worried what you're worried about. God is bigger than this. And so my attitude has been, we're just going to let God's people know and see what happens. Now, I'm going to look at some verses. That was all prelude. This is now the sermon. <laughs> We'll, we'll be out in time, don't worry. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. These two chapters are an appeal letter from Paul to the Corinthians. Now, I don't like appeal letters for the most part, but what I like about this one, there's several motives that come out in these two chapters. You know, what motivates people to give? And I'm going to give you five motives and do them in ascending order from the lower to the higher motives. And I have these in your bulletin. And we're going to look at the strengths and weaknesses. Most of you give. Some of you give faithfully, you give generously, and there's some of you probably need to grow, but most everyone here gives to some extent. Why do you do that? You ever think about that? There's a myriad of reasons. 
But I'm going to give you five from these chapters. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. What should not be a motive? This is the lowest. Compulsion, reluctant. I'm going to call this guilt giving. The word reluctantly actually means not of grief. Some people give in grief and sadness and reluctantly. You have to guilt them, and I just feel sorry for them. They give, but they can't enjoy it because it's with the wrong heart. Some people bristle up when we talk about this subject. You know, the offering should be a time of celebration and joy. Guilt givers ask, how much do I have to give, and can I still be saved? You know, what's the minimum? And the strength of guilt giving, it can work. It can be effective. It can bring money in if people are made to feel guilty enough, but it's not what God wants. There's no joy in it. The attitude is wrong. You won't be generous. There's very little good about guilt giving, but a lot of people do it. Chapter 8, verse 14. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. Paul's purpose for this letter is that the Christian in Jerusalem were having a hard time. There was famine and there were a lot of poverty. And this appeal letter is to help these fellow believers. And we Christians have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. Here in Mount Pulaski, we have a responsibility to our youth and to our missionaries and to our staff and kids and to help the poor through our benevolent fund. I'm going to call this responsibility giving. Paul appeals to their sense of fairness. We who have should be, are responsible to give to those who don't have. Now, the weakness, by its, weakness of this by itself, it does not promote a gracious attitude because it's more out of duty. It limits the amount. You'll only do what you think is your responsibility, and there's not a lot of joy in it. Chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. God promises you will be blessed. And if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. In Malachi, God says, just try me, just test me, and I will pour out blessing on you. Pour, bring the tithe and I will bless. You know, I see people that are just unhappy. You cannot be a giving person and really be unhappy if you're giving the right spirit. I call this faith giving. Faith giving says, I trust you, God. I know, God, you're going to provide. You always have. Now, the weakness of this one is you can get angry if you're not blessed in the way you think God should bless you. If you're giving for the reward, that's not what Paul's talking about here. The motive here is trust. I trust God's going to take care of me, and he will bless in some way. Then 2 Corinthians 8. These are four of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Follow this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it sounds like Haiti, welled up into rich generosity. Extreme poverty, rich generosity. How do you do that? For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and I'll get this, and even beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability? I haven't figured that one out. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. See, the Macedonians can't help but to give. They don't grouse when a need comes up. They've received grace from God. They want to share that grace with others. What's the motive here? I'm going to call it thanksgiving. They are so thankful for God's grace, so blessed, and they have so much joy. The Macedonians were a poor church, extreme poverty. And like Alex said, there's more joy in Haiti, which is dirt poor, in the United States, it has everything. 
Affluence is wonderful, but it's a lot harder to be grateful and live by faith. You've got to go against the culture. You've got to go against the commercials, all the messages, all the peer pressure to experience real joy. Now, the strengths of giving out of gratitude is cheerful. The Macedonians are full of joy and enthusiasm. The motive points us to God and not the need because we're thankful for what he's done for us. It's an abundant giving. The Macedonians gave beyond their ability, and they urgently pleaded. I don't think I've ever had this happen. They begged for the privilege of sharing. They didn't have to be asked. They wanted to help, and they realized, we cannot do enough for this great God. How many of you have been blessed? I look around, I just about everyone here has been blessed in their amazing ways. And then verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. Giving shows, do you love him? Do you love his church? If we are a God-loving, Jesus-following people, we will be a giving people. This is not a fundraising issue. It is a love issue. Do you love Jesus? And this is the highest motive. I love this church. This church gave me a second chance. I didn't know if I was employable seven years ago. You hired me. I will always be grateful for that. Now, you can give out of mixed motives. You can give out of both responsibility and love. That's okay. You can give because you trust God to care for you in faith as well as love. And there's many other motives. And a combination of motives is okay. But I want you to aim high. Aim for the best. So what can you... What can we do? I want to ask you two things. Please do this this week. Read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and pray. I want you to seek God's will. I'm tempted to stand up here and say, hey, you could give this and you could... I, I could I'd like to do that to a certain extent. But I think it's better if you come face to face with God and ask, God, what do you want me to do? Read these two chapters because they're amazing. Let them speak to you and then ask God, what do you want me to do? If you're married, do this together. It could be a really good thing for your marriage. Or if you have family kids old enough, bring them in on this. Teach your kids now to be tithers and to be generous. College kids can tithe. High school kids can tithe. Grade school kids can tithe. I am so thankful my mom taught me to tithe at age seven. For some of you, you may need to reduce your giving. God may convict you about your responsibility to provide for your family. There are times I've told people, you need to give less. But for most of us, we just need to be better managers and stewards and more grateful and more loving and not so stinking materialistic. Some of you could give a one-time gift. Your position, you could do that just to help the deficit. Some of you already have. Most of us can tithe. 10% of our income. For some, 10% is too small. For others, 10% is a stretch. You might just increase your giving from where you're at right now. I know, again, some of you already have. You could do some makeup giving. Some people miss almost the whole summer. But the mission of the gospel does not take a vacation. And I hope your faithfulness does not take a vacation. Some use automatic withdrawal. We have forms at the tables if you want to use them. And again, I want to mention financial peace, university. I have seen families saved because they worked together and got a new vision for their lives by going through FPU. My stepson has done a total reversal in his life because of FPU. My hope is that you will love this aspect of discipleship and find the joy in it. 
I think that's what happens in Haiti. These people go and sweat and work and give, and they love it. Now, we're all at different places. I had a secretary once who made seven bucks an hour. Single mother, she tithed 20 bucks a week. For some a tithe is 100 a week, some it's a 500 a week. There's some here who could double their giving today. There's some who could do four times like Zacchaeus did. The main thing, God is bigger than all this. He has provided and he will provide. So this is where we're at. I'm just hoping we'll all get a Macedonian heart. When Jesus comes and fills your soul, you'll become vertical in your orientation and become more like the Macedonians filled with thanksgiving and love for this God and trusting his promises. I'm going to read one more testimony as we close this. This is from another man in our church. He said, I got to thinking what was the greatest moment or most meaningful thing I'd been involved in at the church. I thought about the potlucks, the fellowship, men's breakfast, Sunday school, iron sharpens iron, preparing communion, my own baptism, and yes, even setting up chairs. Chairs are actually quite therapeutic for me. I can listen to my music, gives me time to think and meditate. However, all those great things fail in comparison to what happened at church today. And some of you remember three weeks ago, we had a dozen probably a dozen people come forward and we had multiple baptisms. God is at work and lives are being changed. Praise God. I want us to sing right now doxology. Some of you who've been around the church a while know this song. Some of you may not. We're going to put the words up there and we're just going to sing it a cappella. Let's do it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Father, thank you for your bounty. Thank you for blessing this church, for using this church, and now for challenging this church. I thank you for our leaders, their dedication, their example. I thank you for those who've served in the past, those pillars upon whom we have depended. Lord, we trust you, we love you, and we are thankful to you. And may our whole lives, not just our finances, but our whole lives reflect that gratitude and that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing and respond to God's call.